Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by Storians. We believe the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of storytelling. So in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. And in this episode, I was delighted to chat with Craig Hill and Sarah Mears from the wonderful Empathy Lab. Their story began in 2014. Sarah and Craig, along with a small group of equally ambitious colleagues, realised something simple yet profound. Not only were stories a brilliant way of developing emotional literacy, but the importance of empathy was a movement that was increasing. One giant leap later, and Empathy Lab was born. Today, Empathy Lab offers a variety of programmes that build empathy skills for children, parents and organisations alike, all through the power of stories. Thank goodness, given that empathy is a 90% learnt skill. Just one of the many brilliant facts we unearth in this fascinating podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Craig, Sarah, welcome to this next episode of Stories That Matter. I am so thrilled that you've both been able to join us today. Um, I won't spoil anything that's to follow by telling people precisely what you do, but safe to say that you are part of a wonderful organization called the Empathy Lab. Uh, and what you do is such an important story. Uh, it's such an important story that matters that um, it, it's really right and fitting that you should be one of our guests on this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'd like if I could unusually, and I don't often do this, to start with a quote from Seneca, um, which I think possibly frames many of the things we want to talk about today. And that quote is is one that I think is, is obviously hugely important. But um, wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for kindness. Um, and I think that's probably a nice way for us to start, because what I'd like to do first, if I could, is, is really take us right back to the beginning and, and, and talk a little bit about Empathy Lab very briefly, what it is, what you do, and, 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 and then we can get into some of the specifics. So, Craig, Sarah, just, you know, between you, a very brief description and explanation of the Empathy Lab, Lab itself. Cast your mind back to 2014, um, there were a group of us that um, were together quite passionate about the role of stories in children's development and decided that there was more that could be done to harness the power of stories to help develop the whole child, I think is a good way of putting it. Um, and in classic entrepreneurial um, style with um, Miranda, Sarah, Scotty, myself, and others very quickly discovered that not only were we onto something, that there was clearly a big opportunity to harness the ability of stories in various forms to develop emotional literacy, but that there was a growing empathy movement. Um, if you take Barack Obama's quote that um, empathy is a quality of character that can change the world. And that we felt that also 
what was coming over very strongly was that the unique ability for stories to help develop empathy in children, young adults and adults, um, was a real opportunity. And so gathered at that point, and uh, Sarah and I will remember the various points where it would be things like, what should we call ourselves? What should we do? How are we going to do it? Is there anybody interested? Um, and that's how it all started. We started really thinking about, so what, what is it that we want to do? We knew that there was something around books that was more than just reading for pleasure, that was more than just literacy. There was something else that books did. And we knew that, that it was all around social and emotional skills. And we had a thinking. We were able to hold a, a thinking at the, at the Royal Festival Hall, the South Bank Centre in London. And we got all sorts of teachers and librarians. We got a man called Roman Krisnerich who wrote the book called Empathy and others there who just got them all thinking about what is it that books do for children. And, and from that, Empathy was the key word that came out over and over again, the importance of empathy through reading. And so that was kind of, that was our starting point, really. We thought, right, we're going to focus on empathy. We did lots and lots of research around the interesting research around what happens in the brain when we read and how that translates into empathy for characters and and, and, then empathy for real people. Um, Really powerful research. And so that was, that was where we started. And that's our kind of driving force to this day. And that's the dawn of, uh, 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 of Empathy Lab. And obviously, uh, eight, some eight years later, the, uh, the case has been proven um, for, for people being interested in it and, and, and care about it, given the way that you've developed that, you know, the organization. Um, and bravo to both of you, by the way, and your wider team for having done that, because it's not easy uh, to start anything from scratch, actually. And I... I uh, I congratulate almost every entrepreneur I ever meet in, in saying that. Um, so let's just get into to, to it then. I, I um, a lot of people use the word. They talk about empathy. Uh, a lot of people are desperate to be more empathic. But but from your perspective and 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 from the vantage point that you now have, what what is it? How would you best sum it up and explain it? to you know a, a layman if you like like me and, and maybe Craig you could you could start and, and, and Sarah could follow up. Sure. I think a, a really good starting point is drawing from the quote you started with that wherever there is a human being. Because though empathy is very much in the zeitgeist at the moment and it's come along almost like the um, the answer to all organizations' ills, to society's ills, as a new thing. Actually, there is a an increasing body of evidence that suggests that it is not just a key evolutionary adaption for humans, but potentially the key evolutionary adaption since we first started. So if you uh, imagine um, <clears throat> something like two, three million years ago, as a species at the point at which we had already broken off from other forms of human as homo sapiens, our brain was actually cognitively quite well developed already. We, we could fashion tools. And then if you fast forward and look at us three million years on, our brain capacity has increased by, in terms of volume, by a factor of about three. But the cognitive um, aspect of that hasn't actually developed 
by a factor of three. And virtually all of the development has been around the social side of our skills, the prefrontal cortex. And what has become very clear is that our key evolutionary difference, not only from other animals, but even Neanderthals and others, is our social ability. And that the development around language and this thing we called empathy gave us the ability to do, in very simplistic terms, two things. First of all is to think in abstract terms around ideas. And an idea we see today, it could be a religion, it could be a brand, it could be a business, it could be a campaign, it could be so many different things. But there is a part of our brain that can crystallize that And the language you use for that is stories, which, as Sarah said, we have become story nerds in understanding how our brain works with stories. It's far more than just something that we go to take off the shelf as a book. It's almost how we interpret the world. And the other aspect of that evolutionary adaption is our ability to share a belief in that idea or an understanding of that idea on a massive scale. So in simple terms, it meant that humans could start assembling either in aggressive terms or positive building terms around in thousands, as opposed to the natural ape groups of a 100. So what you see is going back to what is empathy? Well, empathy is in some ways when you see our ability to gather in feelings around things like the queen dying, regardless of what your feelings are about monarchy, there was a real sense of connection on a huge scale. The feelings we have for Ukraine, where there's a genuine, that is partly crafted through stories and how we understand it, but empathy is the emotional glue that holds us together. So if you then come to where we are today, it's hardly surprising that where we see that we're facing some of the biggest challenges in all aspects of our lives, we're also discovering that empathy being right at the roots of what we are as a species and what has led to all of our incredible achievements, positive or negative as a species, it's not surprising that we're actually beginning to think this actually is really powerful. We should leverage it more. Yeah, fascinating. And, and <clears throat> Sarah, I'd like to come on to you and, 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 and hear what you have to say about this issue of, you know, or the definition of empathy. But just before I do, I mean, your, your, your point, Craig, very much about stories, the power of stories, how the brain works. We have focused this entire podcast series really on, on stories that matter. And we spent a lot of time talking to people, um, around those really important issues. And, uh, I, I actually, um, queued for nine hours actually to get into Westminster Hall, um, to pay my respects, um, to Her Late Majesty. And, you know, for those nine hours, I very much felt empathy in action. It was, it was tangible and very real to me that there were people from all walks of life who had come together because of a real sense of, um, loss for sure, but a real sense of, pride uh, and gratitude actually in what um what what you know the late queen had done for us but uh, so I, I hear that and i really feel that as well sarah thoughts mm. empathy what is it yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, there are many di- different definitions of empathy. So every book you read will give a slightly different definition. But we've kind of crystallized the definition into the ability to experience and understand other people's emotions and perspectives. And it really means, I think, standing with someone. It doesn't necessarily mean doing something for them or, 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 or even helping them it actually means being, being by their side, actually feeling what they feel. And, and by doing that, you, you can help them because you understand what they need. And there is, there are interesting research about how often we actually get that, that feeling what they feel right. Um, so there are actually three elements to empathy. I think all the thinkers on empathy agree on that. So which is really helpful for us. And the first one is the sort of affective empathy, which is that kind of gut feeling that you feel when you see something, something terrible happens or you feel someone else's emotion. It's a, it's a really kind of visceral feeling. And that has to be overlaid with cognitive empathy, which is where you actually, you understand what it is they're feeling. So you feel something, you understand what it is that you're feeling or what they're feeling. And those two together drive what, what we call pro-social behavior. So the, the drive to do something about it. Um, and I always think about the Grenfell Tower as, as a way of describing that, that feeling when, when you saw that tower in flames, what you felt as a person, that's that affective empathy. And then you start thinking, oh, my God, those poor people in there, what, what are they going to need? And then that's the kind of cognitive empathy, understanding what it is they're going to need. And then the pro-social part is actually, so what do I need? What can I do? How can I help them? How can I actually make sure they've got what they need? to survive and those three things are how empathy works together yeah um fascinating and um a brilliant dissection if i may say to the two of you of what empathy is and and, and what it means actually um fantastically informative so thank you um i'd like to come on to the the research actually or, or at least start to, to 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 quote a few things i mean i for those you know for those people listening um who you know, would like to spend a fascinating and kind of brilliant 15 minutes. I really would urge people to go to your website, The Empathy Lab. And, and because there's so much information on there, there's so much content that you've developed and there are so many things that you're doing. Um, I, I did wonder when I first came across your uh, website and your organization, whether you had about a thousand people working for you, <laughs> given the amount of things you seem to be able to do. But um and clearly you don't you've just got a fantastic group of a fantastic group of brilliantly um effective and uh and people that work very hard i'm sure but looking at the research if you look at your website i was so struck by many of the things on there you know i'm just going to quote a few and you know them but i'm going to quote a few for our listeners and, and ask you to comment really only 10 percent of our empathic capacity is genetic which, uh, you know, when I read it, I, 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 it really stopped me in my tracks, actually, because it's your point, Craig, about the way we've evolved. But that means there's 90% of my brain, there's 90% of my brain has got the ability to develop greater levels of empathy. And in fact, everybody's brain is listening to this podcast. I think, you know, the, the other one that really struck me is, you know, 94% of employers today say that social, this is a quote actually from 2018, I think the Sutton Report, Social and emotional skills are as important as academic qualifications. And I think what your organization, it seems to me, has just done so brilliantly is acknowledge how important the non-academic part of school is. Now, clearly, reading is, a, is, is something you've learned. 
And clearly, if a teacher were listening to this, they'd say, well, of course, Gary, reading and, and books are part of the academic curriculum. But what I meant by that was really the, 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 the notion that the way that you interpret books and what you get from those books beyond the ability to, to read and to spell is so important. And then the other thing I just wanted to acknowledge and notice is that, of course, you referenced it uh, as well, that the world's a tough place. But of course, you know, we do have problems, many problems in our society, including the rise of hate crimes. Uh, and of course, what lies at the heart of that issue, frankly, is our inability to empathize and, and with each other and, and, and have the most basic levels of empathy. So I just thought for our listeners, I'd quote a few of those things and, and then urge people to go and have a look at the vast amount of more information on there. But just Sarah, Craig, let's start with you, Sarah, actually, this time. Thoughts on those things I've talked about? Any reflections or comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're inherently tribal people. We are, we we empathise most with those who are like us. It's it's easier for us to empathise with those. And so, I think one of the things that we really want to do with children is expand the people that they see as being like us. Expand their what we call their in group, if you like. The the wider that is, and hopefully it, it encompasses the whole world in the end. Then the more they'll empathise with others, and it stops that kind of tribal thinking. That's Sort of tribal activities that start things like hate crimes and so on and and we've always focused on the book as the core way of doing that so we're not saying to schools particularly add this onto your curriculum it's another thing add an empathy lesson onto your curriculum we want teachers to use how they how they use books already in this but use them in a slightly different way so they really really bring out the empathy elements of books. And for us, one of the subtle things that we encourage teachers to do is, is shift from just looking at the plot and the plot structures and all of those things to focusing on character. Because all the research shows that when you when you read and you identify with a character, however different that character might be for you, then you start to empathise with the character, you build a connection with the character, and that's the way your empathy muscle is being exercised, if you like, and that empathy you feel for a character can be transferred into real-life situations. So, you know, books are a wonderful way of widening that that in-group, if you like, by introducing children to new new people, new countries, new experiences, experiences they may not have but, you know, they've heard about, and it just gives them that kind of... A, a really wonderful way of, of experiencing the world and all the research in the brain shows that when we read bits of the brain light up that actually light up when we're doing things in real life as well so it's all it's a really vicarious almost real life experience and that's why reading is so powerful and we always give the example of I, I always say velvet whenever I say velvet I my fingers always rub together because I'm ex imagining that that feeling of velvet between my fingers and that's what's happening when we're reading as well so when we're reading about a situation we're actually almost imagining we're there and the, and the quality of the book will really help that approach to really imagining you're there in the text with the characters really empathizing with them I love that I love that 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 connection that relationship between the words you hear and read and the way you feel um my uh, uh, my creative partner recently he and i were discussing some of the shall we say turgid language that often exists in in some of the work that we see from, from some of our clients in the professional services space and, and they love a technical term um occasionally and, and he talked about this notion of unraveling the babble 
And I loved that because it really made me feel that we were, you know, in that just that phrase made me get a visceral sense of what we're trying to achieve in, you know, humanizing our marketing. Um, and I'll just feedback one other thing from your website, if I made in the research to, 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 if you like, um, provide the context of the things you talked about, Sarah. I, I, I noted as well on your website from the research that the empathy we feel for book characters wires our brains. Um, in the same, uh, to have the same sensitivity towards people, that notion of the importance of character. But, um, Craig, thoughts, it's been a while actually in this podcast since I, I gave you those quotes, so you may have forgotten them by now, but any thoughts on, on, on my reflections on your research? Yeah, it's, I think one, it's coming back to that point that Sarah made is that there is an increasing body of evidence to, support what we felt instinctively for a very very long time which is actually human connection is a very very powerful there's a quote from um, uh, a notable neuroscientist who said that we've always thought that we are um, thinking people that feel but we're actually feeling beings that think and going back to that what we are our greatest achievements our abilities to innovate to create to kind are all supported by our emotional connection and so throwing in another piece of evidence and this is um, from Google uh, who decided they wanted to find out what the roots of their most successful projects were and it's called Project Aristotle and the study went on in a very objective way over a period of time and they looked at the difference between the scientists that were gathered all of their A scientists and how they performed and how many successful ideas came to the fore. And then at the B and C level scientists and how they did. And the conclusions were crystal clear that the biggest correlation between the big ideas that we see in the world today, Google Earth, Google Maps, Google itself, were with the teams that weren't necessarily the most brilliant academically, but were emotionally best connected. Yeah, And it comes back uh, with probably the most vibrant creative um, organization on the planet, arguably, um, is that they see success intrinsically linked with emotional connection. You um, talked also about uh, academic achievement in one of your quotes. Um, I'll paraphrase Professor Robin Banerjee, one of the amazing academics who has supported us through our journey. And um, once again, Sarah mentioned various people who has helped us. And he's conducted a study in schools that have evidence that if you build empathy, you build academic skills. And he says, yeah, and you would think that it's complicated, but actually it's not. It's really, really simple. We don't operate as individuals. Everything we do, whether it be in a classroom or a business, even if we were, we're aware of our environment. And if children are happier in a classroom, if they are working better with their friends in the classroom and outside, it's hardly surprising that they do better. But what's really profound as the for society is that Robin's research has also shown that there is a really tight correlation between how well they are performing in a group in the classroom at eight years old and eventual life success and happiness. So at a time where 
we are facing so many challenges at a societal level, whether it be the hate crimes that you've talked about, which is where we're often drawn into is solving those sorts of problems. But even how are we going to solve um, global warming? How are we going to deal with all of that? Empathy is absolutely very, it's absolutely key to that. And I, and I think, and I think it's such an important point because ultimately, and you know, as an employer and, and as somebody that has some fantastically talented people working with us, you know, our ability as an organization to find the right solutions is really down partly to how well we can collaborate with each other. And collaboration is such an important part of progress. And actually, you know, things like climate change, you see nowadays that people who actually don't agree with each other and have widely different perspectives, the, 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 the progress that's often made most effectively is when you create what one of our clients calls radical collaboration. You know, you're meeting people who don't agree with you, but you're somehow trying to understand their perspective first and foremost. And you know, this world that we live in, which is desperately too binary, isn't it, where you're either for or against, speaks to this notion that if you can try and step into the shoes of somebody else and begin to understand why they feel the way they do, I think we would all say, I'm sure, that the world would be a better place and, and empathy is right at the heart of that. And, 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 you know, you're doing a fantastic job on this podcast of explaining why. Um, I just want to put you both on the spot for one second and, and ask for a quick one-line answer. Um, and I'm going to give you time to think about it because I'm going to ask you to tell me the book that you'd recommend for anybody listening to this who wants to find out more about empathy. And I'll give you 20 seconds to think about it by telling you that I first became fascinating in, in the issue of empathy when I read a book by Peter Bazalgette called The Empathy Instinct, mm -hmm. in which he obviously does many things in the book, but actually tries to understand, you know, tries to help the reader unpick what, 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 how on earth could the Holocaust have happened? How on earth could somebody have displayed such a lack of empathy? You know, he talked about that. And of course, at the heart of that issue is around all sorts of issues, but it's an inability to see um, things from, from all angles. But um, tell me about the book you'd recommend. I have two. You can have two. Yeah, I like a guest who goes outside the brief. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got, I mean, we, we've read lots and lots of empathy books, as you might expect for empathy. But one that I come back to again and again is a book called Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed. And it gives nine, nine ways of actually supporting children to build their empathy skills. It's an American book by Michelle Borber. B O R B A, and it's very, very readable. And I just, I just come back to it over and over again because it just gives those very simple ways in which you, way you talk to children, the way you support them, the way you encourage them to be more empathetic and to give them opportunities to demonstrate and, and show their empathy. Because all the, all the research shows that the more you help children to believe they're empathetic, the more they will be empathetic. So that would be my recommendation if you want to read more about empathy. But if you want to see empathy in action, then I think I would suggest a picture book for children called The Day War Came by Nicola Davis, um, illustrated by Rebecca Cobb. And it's uh, based on a true story, actually, of refugee children who actually couldn't go to school because there just weren't enough chairs, there weren't enough spaces in the school. And the fact that other children found chairs and brought the chairs to school so that the refugee children could come to school 
Um, so it's a, yeah, definitely based on a true story. It's just amazing because when we talk to children and teachers about what was happening in that story, you know, the, the teacher who turned the refugee child away just because probably the teacher was absolutely exhausted, an overcrowded classroom, the children who really understood that other children wanted to come to school and needed to come to school and needed to be with other children and needed to learn. So there's lots and lots of, of, of opportunities for really understanding empathy in action through that story. So that would be my other recommendation. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Craig. It's, uh, it's interesting. There are so many books, particularly at the moment, since there is clearly a bandwagon to jump on explaining what empathy is. One thing we, we come back to, in fact, a very brief anecdote from one of our school's um, workshops where we were teaching empathy and we were running a classic empathy exercise of active listening. And one teacher was sitting there and they're saying, how are you getting on with listening to the person with you? And he says, I'm listening so hard, I can't hear anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> and That's nice. one of the things about empathy, if you go back, is it's a feeling. And sometimes to learn about it, Actually, and another little bit of evidence is we found uh, in our early uh, work with children, the children who could work out, could actually say what the official definition was of empathy, weren't necessarily the most empathetic. So I'm going to build on Sarah's example of a picture book and suggest um, a book that some people would have read. It's called Wonder by R.J. Palacio, it was made into a film. And the, the wonderful thing about that book is it, it gives you a little window onto different perspectives, chapter by chapter. So you almost began to see not only how empathy works and how people could be putting themselves into other sh people's shoes, but the power of actually being empathetic and how problems get solved by looking at other people's point of view. Appreciate those recommendations and hopefully uh, fantastically useful for our listeners. Um, as we come to the last five, six minutes uh, of this podcast, I, I want to just focus on two issues, if I can. Um, well, not two issues, really. They're two questions and two, um, two, two, two places that I'd like to direct you both to. Obviously, you do an absolutely wonderful job in schools. You've got so many programs, you've got so many things that you're doing. And again, I would urge everybody um, listening to, 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 to look at what you do in their schools programs and the way that you um, build and teach empathy through the power of stories. But I'm interested, if I'm a parent, which I am, if I'm a parent listening to this and I've become enthralled by this notion of empathy over the last half an hour, and I want to know, what can I do? What can I do tomorrow? What can I do next week? What can I do next month, next year, to really help my child or my children build their empathy muscle? What, what, would, you, what would your advice and recommendation be to those parents listening? Um, Craig, I'm going to start with you this time. I think um, our starting point always would be reading and read books, good books. People often say, is it all about an empathetic book? And it's, as Sarah said, it's about brilliant writing that gets you in the shoes of a character. So I think the starting point for us always is if all you do just is read a book as often as possible, and then the other aspect, which Sarah can brilliantly expand on, 
is talk about it. Because the whole thing about stories is that they trick your brain into thinking you're really there, as Sarah said earlier. And that means that not only are you walking in the shoes and you completely lose yourself, but what's crucial is in the same way as with a John Lewis ad, you take on a story. And at the end of it, where there's the resolution of your story, your brain is open to new ideas. And what we do is use that knowledge that's used for advertising a lot. And at the end of a book, in the care of a trusted adult, whether it be a parent or a teacher, is talk about things. I'll, I'll sort of lob that over to you, Sarah, and uh, build on that. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree. Reading, 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 uh, and then, but just not letting the book just slip away, but talking about it, talking about it from the character's perspective, really important to understand the character. And we always say that the child who's read the book is the expert. So it's not about firing questions at a child. It's, it's having a genuine discussion where you both wonder together about what's happening to the characters, what the characters are feeling, um, what, what they might do next. Just really, really getting inside the shoes of the character is really important. And that talking together also builds an empathetic connection between the, the parent and the child. So it does two things at once really builds that connection and bonding and um, one of the other things you can do I think is a really lovely thing is going on an empathy walk and we really encourage everyone to do that because it, I did it just as a, as a test last year and it's made me change the way I walk around my community and when you walk walk with empathy you're not looking at the landmarks in your environment you're looking at the people and the situations and and so to do it with a child is really interesting because you're starting to talk about oh look at that 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 poor lady who's struggling with a screaming baby and she's got lots of shopping um what could we what what might might she need to help her or look at the litter on the street what could we do to change that look at this poster in the window that says black lives matter what was that all about let's talk about that so if you're going on a walk just looking at the situations around you uh, having an empathy walk talking again to your child um, that's a, a wonderful way of building empathy and then just giving them opportunities to take those those pro-social actions. So helping them, pick, doing the litter picks, supporting their community in, in one way or another, being kind to their friends, looking at how if someone's lonely in the playground, what are they going to do about it? Are they going to leave their friend, leave the person who's lonely or are they going to invite them to join in the games? And it's, it's building up that kind of pro-social attitude, but it all stems from story. Fantastic. I love the idea of an empathy walk. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a few people listening to this who are. There are some lovely ones on our website that authors have done for us. So do, do go and have a look at some yeah, of those. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, okay. My last question, Craig, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to direct it at you. Um, um, okay. So you've answered the, if I'm a parent, what can I do? You obviously are an organization that relies on support, the support of others. And if I'm a business owner, if I'm a leader, if I'm somebody in the world of work who wants to help your organization, who completely and utterly understands the importance of what you're doing, who wants to help you all develop the work you're doing even further, what do I do? How can I help you? How can I support you? I think um, the thing we're, we're realistic about, because we, we operate as an organization, um, as you, you kindly said, in an entrepreneurial way, 
is that the world is all about value exchange in the in the end. And what we feel we have to offer to anyone who contacts us and say we would like to help is we can help in a number of different ways. One is to help with workplace engagement by getting people involved in the events that we have each year, like Empathy Day. We can help in the sort of way that you've described where we can, um, uh, if uh, employees have children of their own, we can share lots of activities that we can do with them. But most of all, what we're looking for is partnerships, where we talk to people and say, here's what we need. Sometimes it's money. <laughs> Sometimes it's knowledge and expertise. Sometimes we're passionate about developing the empathy movement. And so what we would, coming to answer your question, is we would love for people to get in contact with us, either Sarah or myself or Miranda as key founders, say, we are interested in seeing how we can help develop the empathy movement. We're interested to see how we can harness the power of empathy in our own organization. Can you help us? Um, and what help do you need? And then at that point, we can talk and I think, that's kind of where we are at the moment. We're not an organization because it's so fluid, the whole empathy area where we say, make your pound donation. It's far deeper than that. And we're keen to talk about it rather as well as ask for help. Anything to add to that, Sarah? No, I think that's that's fine. Really. I mean, we we work with schools, we work with libraries, so there are always organisations that are going to need need support if we can deliver the best quality uh, empathy education we can. So we, yeah, we we're always looking for partners who are going to help us. But as Craig says, it's not just about donating money, but really being part part partners in our empathy journey. I think is what we really welcome. Well, good news is that anybody can help us in our mission to raise an empathy-educated generation. If you're a parent or if you work with children in any way, please visit our website at www.empathylab.uk and download our Read for Empathy guides with many different empathy-rich books for all ages for you and your children to read, plus loads of fun empathy-boosting activities. And while you're there, definitely sign up for Empathy Day on June the 8th, 2023. If you think any schools will be interested in our work, share our school's resources from the website and ask them to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from them. And if you're a business organisation interested in joining the empathy movement and building an empathy-rich culture in your own workplace with all the commercial benefits that brings, once again, get in contact via the website. Twitter details, email details are on there. We've developed workplace versions of our work and as well as ways you can help us with our work through sponsorship and donations. Fantastic. Um, Craig, Sarah, thank you so much. Um, this is not only a podcast that's explained why stories matter so much, but it's also a podcast that explains why your story matters so much. And I wish you both and all of your team continued success as you do the wonderful work that you do. Um, it's been a fantastic pleasure for me to talk to you both about it uh, and um, good luck with everything. And I would just urge everybody, have a look at the website, get involved, read a book and indeed go on an empathy walk. Mm -hmm.